0: we're going to be doing uh, something a little bit different and you'll see it um, as we get going. I'm going to be using a different version. I'm going to be using the NIV today, but you'll see exactly why. Our, our sermon title today is Mercy Triumphs, Mercy Triumphs, and it's out of uh, chapter 2 of the book of James, verses 8 through 13. Uh, so it's taken us a while to get to chapter 2. We started this going back about eight or nine weeks ago, and we've only gotten to chapter 2 last week. So we don't, we don't rush through these scriptures. Uh, we take our time. Uh, We let them speak to us. And as our custom is, uh, what we typically do is we we let you uh, get caught up just as if you were watching a a, a series on TV. Usually the first few minutes of the series, they kind of show you clips of what you've previously seen over the past few weeks. So if you were with us, you remember that that James is writing this to the scattered church. And at the very beginning, he says to count it all joy when you fall into various trials, various trials. Um, And he said that the testing of our faith uh, gives us patience. And you've probably seen that as well that it's during the times of testing that we actually learn. We learn more from our struggles in life than from our our good times. Then a few weeks ago, we looked at what James had to say about temptation, and, and we found that there was a blessing attached to temptation. You know, we all live in a world where people are constantly giving us messages about things that are not necessarily pleasing to the Lord. They're contrary to what the Word of God says, and they're constantly bombarding us with these messages. We live actually in a... Pagan society, not unlike these early followers of Jesus Christ. And the, the James said that the, actually the, the, there's a blessing attached to enduring temptation. Last week we talked about the sin of partiality. I said, see, we talk about sin. And we talked about the sin of partiality. And the, the example that James gave was if a rich man came into our church, how we would treat them differently than if somebody that was poor came in, somebody that, should, that maybe was pushing a shopping cart. And, and we do that. We said one of the reasons we do that is because we see the wealthy people that come into our fellowship, into our congregation as an asset. But those that are poor would be a, a liability. And James is going to pick up that conversation today. And our, our scripture passage today, verses 8 through 13, uh, talks about partiality. It talks about the bias, the prejudice, the intolerance. And our, and our title for our message today is Mercy Triumphs. And let me go ahead and begin reading in chapter 2, verse 18. James says this, If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law, and yet stumbles in just one point as guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit uh, commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs, over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So we're doing things differently today. We're actually quoting the New International Version. I usually use the New King James. And the reason is, is because like you, I've, I've memorized some version from some verses and they're typically from the King James. The New King James is close enough that I don't have to memorize any more verses. (laughs) So I like the New King. But in this passage, I I love this last verse. And that's the thing we're doing differently too, because we're going to start with verse 13, because judgment Without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So, you know, when we take a look at these verses, we always take a look at the context. And what we said is that James was writing a very practical book. It was written to the church. And it basically told us not only how to honor God, but also how to get along with each other how to treat each other, how to be respectful, how to have respect for people as well as, as their property. We see particularly in this section that James quotes half of the Ten Commandments. Uh, he's interested not so much in how we respond to God, but how we respond to, to each other. Well, you know, Last week, we mentioned, he mentioned favoritism or what he calls the sin of partiality. And, and he mentions that he starts off with that again today and he gives us a little bit more specificity. He says, if you really keep the royal law found in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. You know, again, this is what we talked about last week. We saw that partiality was actually a sin. And what James is saying, he said that when you commit a sin, you actually become a lawbreaker. Uh, you, You break it all every one of God's commands because you break one of them. You see, God doesn't judge on a curve. He, he's absolute. He wants you to get 100%, 100%. So before we look at these verses, I want to again take a look at the understanding of, of verse 13. James says, Because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So what does James mean when he says mercy triumphs over judgment? Well, we know that God is the ultimate judge. God is the one that judges. And if you're going to go before God, if you want God to be a judge, you want a merciful judge, right? If you've ever been to court, you're praying that the judge is merciful, right? That they don't have a little hangman's noose on their, on their court bench, right? That they don't have a guillotine there. They, that they're merciful. That they'll listen to what you're doing and at the same time, they'll, they'll take mercy into account. Now, mercy and grace are, are two Christian terms that we speak of often, and there's a little saying that, that people have to explain the difference between mercy and grace. And it says this, it says, mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. Mercy is not giving us what we do deserve, and grace is giving, God giving us something we do not deserve. Now, when it comes to the judgment of God, for everything we do, remember, God is the judge. For everything we do, everything we say, everything we think, everything we do, but everything we fail to do that we know we should do. God is the judge of all of those things. So I'm going to give you my definition of God's mercy. It's simply this understanding that God's mercy is his expression of his loving kindness. So God has this loving kindness. Bible speaks directly to the kindness of God a number of times and specifically in the act of redemption and tied with what Jesus Christ did on the cross. For example, in Titus chapter three, verses four through six, Paul says this, he says, but when, kind, when the kindness and the love, there's those words, the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, for the child of God, If you're his, if you know who Jesus Christ is, if you know that he died on the cross for your sins, if you understand that he rose from the dead and that he's coming back again, you're a child of God. That's what it means. You're born again. You are a child of God. You're his, and you have nothing to worry about. God keeps you securely in his heart. There's nothing you can do or say that will separate you from the love of God. At the same time, now see, that's the good news. The bad news is, is that God still holds you accountable. For everything that you say or do, every thought, every word, every action has consequences. And we rely on God's mercy, His loving kindness regarding those consequences. Now, here's the thing. God wants us to be kind as well. That's a unique thought, isn't it? That's exceptional. God wants us to be kind because He's kind. He wants us to show mercy because He shows mercy. You know, kindness is really at the heart of what you're called to be if you're called to be a Christian. Now, every one of us knows people that are unkind, right? I mean, we know them. They might be our neighbor. They might be somebody in your family. They're just unpleasant to be around. Uh, they're rude to family, to strangers. If they're talking, they're likely complaining about something or someone. Um, in fact, they complain about everything except themselves. Uh, if you know something, someone like that, you know how difficult it is to be, to be around them. Conversely, we also know people that are That are kind they're courteous they're they're generous not only with their time but also generous with their words of praise they're complimentary they're they're considerate Uh, in fact they're so considerate that often they go out of their ways to help even complete strangers you know there's parables in the bible and we i'm thinking of the parable of the good samaritan we all know that parable and it's a great example of somebody that goes out of their way to be kind to show mercy to somebody they, they don't even know. However, there's another parable that fits so well with what James is speaking of, and that's the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's in the 18th chapter of Matthew, and it's, and it's about 14 verses long, so we're going to take our time, but I, I want to read through the parable because it applies so well with the lesson that James is, is trying to teach us. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me, and I forgive him, up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Keep that number in mind, 10,000. 1,000 talents, but he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii, completely different sum, And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and they came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you begged me, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the tortures until he could pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father also will do to you, if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, for those of you that have been with us for a while, you know that I, I love the parables. You know, the parables are, are wonderful stories. They're rich in character development. They're, they're full of symbolism and they're easy to remember. That's probably why I like them the best. They're, they're easy to remember. Um, the timing of this parable is interesting because it's at the end of the gospel accounts, meaning that it's getting close before, close to Palm Sunday. It's getting close to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, where he'll be arrested. And, and Peter will actually deny him three times. So Jesus takes the opportunity to, to teach Peter something about forgiveness, to teach him something about mercy and about grace. Peter needs to look, learn about God's loving grace kindness. So in this parable, we always look for the king because the king represents God. That's, that's a truism. In the parables, the king typically represents God. And we pretty have a, a pretty good understanding that in this parable, this king is, is representing God. This king forgave a debt that was owed. In the first instance, the 10,000 talents, the amount is, is staggering so much so that it really could never be repaid. This represents our sins as well as James tells us this. This is exactly what James is telling us, that if we, if we sin against one of the commandments, we, we break them all. Just to make sure we, we don't take our, our trespasses, our sins lightly, James tells us that Jesus often did and explained that the spirit of the law is what you have to understand, not just the letter of the law. That's why James says this. He says, if you show favoritism, you sin, and you're convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So the debt that the Lord needs to forgive for us is staggering. It includes all of it. This is what the parable speaks to as well. The first servant had a debt of 10,000 talents. To get some perspective on that, uh, a talent was a measure of weight. It wasn't a coin, it was a measure of weight. Think of a gold brick. You've probably never held a gold brick, but you can imagine it. It's, a, it's the size of a brick. It, it weighs about uh, 27 pounds. A gold brick today is worth a half a million dollars. Can you believe that? A half a million to a three quarter depending on what gold is, a half a million to three quarters of a million dollars is a gold brick, one gold brick. This man owed 10,000 talents. Now, I'm not gonna go through all the math, but if it was silver, if it was 10,000 talents of silver, it'd be worth somewhere around $500 million. If it was gold, it would be in the billions, billions with a B, Billion, sounds like the government, right? Billions with a B. That kind, of, that kind of money. Forgiving that kind of debt illustrates the mercy. Again, the loving kindness of God. But this parable had a twist. You see, this parable is not called the parable of the merciful king. It's called the, the parable of the unmerciful servant. In verse 28, it says, But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants that owed him a hundred denarii. He laid hands on him, took him by the throat. I love that saying. He took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And what was the debt that the second servant owed? It was 100 denarii. 100 denarii. Denarii is basically what a laborer gets for one day's wages. It's what a field worker gets for working one day. So it's, it's less than three months of wages. In today's terms, maybe $15,000, $20,000. It's a debt that's, that can be paid. It can be put on time. It could be worked off over a period of time. But no, the servant that had been forgiven much takes him by the throat, throws him into prison, The text says, and he would not but went and threw him into prison till he could pay the debt. Now, that makes no sense to me. If somebody owes you some money, why would you throw them into prison? I can't make any money there, but that's what what they did. They had debtor's prisons for years, hundreds of years. They had debtor's prisons. They would take somebody that owed money, and they'd throw you into prison, sell your family in order to pay part of the debt. So Jesus is teaching us a, a very important lesson here, and it's the same lesson that James is teaching. God's forgiveness, his mercy, was freely given. And it's the major part of this message. It's God's forgiveness, his mercy. That's why we're calling this mercy triumphs. But instead of the kindness on the part of the servant that was forgiven, instead of mercy, we see the hardness of heart. We all have friends that are merciful. We have some friends that are hard of heart. There are some friends that we have that are very kind. And there are some friends we have that are, unkind. We can see the contrast. God wants us to be forgiving just as he is forgiving. God wants us to show mercy as he shows mercy to us, to show kindness as he shows us kindness. God's plan, get this, is that we would be like Jesus. That's it. He wants us to be like Jesus. How God freely extends his grace, he wants us to do likewise. You know, to illustrate, remember that once a month when we have communion, we say the Lord's Prayer. You know the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Then it says this. It says, and forgive us our debts or forgive us our trespasses or forgive us our sins, depending on your culture, your tradition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we've forgiven our tre- those who trespass against us. See, God says, you need to do what I've done for you. You need to be merciful. Mercy triumphs. Mercy triumphs. Depending on how you've learned that prayer, some say debts, some say trespasses, but we all get it, and we understand how it fits in with this parable as well. It not only fits in with the parable, but it fits in with what James has to say. James says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it we break it all. 10,000 talents worth. As they say, the whole shooting match, the whole nine yards, it's, it's staggering what God has forgiven us. God forgives us because his mercy triumphs. He asks us to do the same. You know, a few weeks ago, I, I closed my sermon with a poem. We don't usually do that. We do a poem. And often we close our sermons with a doxology. And I love the doxology, I love poems, but as I was putting this sermon together, I realized we just sang a song last week, His Mercy is More. It's a beautiful song, and it speaks directly to what James is talking to us about. It speaks directly to what the parable was about as well. It's, it's, in, your, it's in the back, back of your bulletin, and we're going to put it up on the screen as well. The first verse, this is a song by Matt Boswell and Matt Papa. The first verse says this, it says, What love could remember, no wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing, he counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. His mercy, his mercy is more. So with that, I recorded it. Isn't that cool? So I recorded it. So we'll go ahead and sing it. Do you guys want to come up and sing it too? You don't need a microphone or anything. Just come on up and sing.
1: Since they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord. Guess that will find Kindness he lavished on us. His blood was the payment, his life was the cost. We surely glad
0: been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.